Are you guys ready? All right, there we go. Second Corinthians chapter nine. We have been in a uh, study. This is now nine weeks into uh, this particular study where we have been walking through uh, Paul's second letter, which was actually a collection. It was part of four letters that Paul ended up writing to the church in Corinth, two of which have been recovered. And, and um, in this letter, uh, the, the first letter, he gave some really harsh and swift rebukes to the, to the Corinthians. And, and you read about that in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about um, just all sorts of crazy things that are taking place in the church. People getting drunk on communion wine and uh, people uh, in infidelity, all of that stuff just taking place. And then his second letter is him trying to reconcile his relationship with the Corinthians. And so he praises the Corinthians. He encourages the Corinthians. Um, and he really focuses on, on three things in the entire book. The first section, which is about six or seven chapters, is him trying to reconcile his relationship with the church. And then he shifts from there to talk about generosity, which is where we are today. And then you're going to see next week that he's bringing a correction to what true apostolic ministry is. And, and I don't want you to get freaked out because I know sometimes we hear the word apostle and everyone's like, oh, that does anyone get freaked out by that word or is it just me? Two people? All right, if you, I grew, Terry and I, we grew up in charismatic churches, and so that's why if you didn't go to a charismatic church, you have been blessed, and um, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut at this point, all right? And so um, we're a charismatic church, so... <laughs> Uh, and uh, but anyways, so anyways, Paul is going to bring correction to what a true apostolic gifting is in the next couple chapters, and ultimately what ministry should look like. But today is Second Corinthians chapter nine. Um, this is a, a, a really a, a two part mini series on finances that's kind of right in the smack dab middle of his letter to the church in Corinth. And so I'm excited about this. And uh, if you're new here, we don't normally talk about money, but we don't want to shy away from it because Jesus talked about money more than anything else. Actually, 25% of his ministry was addressing finances because he understood that it was a key to our heart. And so, um, what he did in chapter 8 is he started drawing these parallels between the church in Corinth and the church in Macedonia. And the church in Corinth was very wealthy. They had a lot of zeal. They had a lot of passion, but they lacked discipline, which you're going to see. And the church in Macedonia, they were incredibly disciplined. They were incredibly Impoverished, but in their poverty, they found joy. In their poverty, they found strength. And in their poverty, they found the riches of the glory of God and how that ended up sustaining them. And so um, Corinth is wealthy. Macedonia is um, not wealthy. All right. And so just, just to kind of paint that picture for you guys. And, and here we go. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about to the people in Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Verse 4, otherwise, if some Macedonians come to me or come with me and they find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, which makes me feel a little bit better that Paul's worried about being humiliated. I'm just throwing that out there. To say nothing of you. 
for being so confident, verse 5, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as extraction. Did I get that right? Probably not. Don't judge me. Here's what's happening right here. Paul um, rebuked the church in Corinthians, and, and, and he essentially saying, hey, you got a lot of good stuff going for you, but these are your faults. This is what you've got going wrong. And, and so the church in Corinthian, in their passion and in their zeal, they ended up making a promise to the church in Macedonia that they were going to take up a special offering that was going to go to the church in Macedonia. And so what Paul is doing right here is he's saying, hey, I appreciate your zeal, I appreciate your passion, but I need to make sure that you're going to do what you said that you were going to do. Has anyone ever dealt with those people? Those over-promisers and they under-deliver all the time? Anyone? Some of you guys, you work with them. Some of you, you live with them. Don't look at your spouse. Um, I, look, I am the worst at this. Honey, I'm going to fix this, this, and this. A week later, it's fixed. And I'm like, what happened? She's like, you didn't fix it. So I did. And I'm just like, all right, I'm, I love you too. But the church in Corinthians has zeal. I mean, they have zeal, and they have passion, and they are earnest to see God move. The problem with that, though, is that they are dictated and controlled by their emotions more than they are by their discipline to Jesus. You, you guys catching that? Have you ever been around those people? And, and um, listen, I used to be one of them, so I'm not making fun of them, where they, they would just have to go for the next and the greatest and the best experience, right? Like, I just want to experience God right now in his presence. And so they, you know, go to this conference, and then that conference would get done, and then they go to another conference, and that conference would get done, and then they go to, we call those conference junkies. Anyone, has that ever been anyone? That has totally been me right? And I am not ashamed of it, and I had great times doing it. But what happens when the emotional high that you get from those conferences ends up letting you down? What happens whenever that emotional high brings you back to reality, and, and you realize like, oh snap, I've got stuff I have to deal with in my life. I got areas in my life that I need to allow the Lord to examine me. And, and this is what Paul is addressing right here, is he's like, you got a lot of passion, you got a lot of zeal, but you lack discipline. You lack discipline. Whenever we started the church, roughly a decade ago now, um, man, we, and I kid you not, those that were there, and, and I, you know, I know Jess knows some of the, the founders and, and stuff, but like, we would meet outside, and we would plan, and we would pray, and um, we'd come up with all these strategies, and we were convinced that we were going to transform the city of Albany in like a year or two. Like, we were convinced, you remember that, Paloma? Like, we're going to do it, and the fire of God's going to fall down, and man, we had a lot of passion. We had a lot of passion. We had a lot of zeal. That's whenever I started wearing skinny jeans, and so I knew the anointing of God was coming on me, right? Um, and God was definitely moving, but you know what we lacked? Wisdom. Discipline. Like, I didn't realize that there's this whole legal end of church and ministry that had to be taken care of. Like, I just thought, like, hey, we want to start a church, and so we're going to start a church, and pfft, People are going to show up. That was not the case. It wasn't until I sat down with our attorney, and he's like, you're a moron. He didn't say it just like that, but basically he's like, hey, you're not being very smart here. 
He rebuked me, and I was like, oh, snap, now I'm scared. Am I going to go to prison? And then we fixed everything. That sounds really bad, right? I promise you, that is, that is, we wasn't too bad, all right? But like, then God started teaching me wisdom and discipline and wisdom and discipline and wisdom and discipline. We started this church with $500 in the bank and a whole lot of passion and a whole lot of zeal. And now if I ever sit down with a church planner, uh, which I do all the time, and I talk to them, and they're like, hey, what can I learn from your advice? Um, have money in the bank. Like, because there's plenty of Sundays where we're like, God's going to move, and offering was $37. And it's like, all right, well, you know, we'll see what happens. But God's faithfulness got us through all of those challenges. What Paul's saying is, I love your passion. And let me just say this about passion, all right? I'm taking this off. I'm hot. You know, I get to look at my bald head. This is, this is what I need to say about passion. Passion is something that you cannot teach to someone. And, and so parents, I'm going to talk to you for just a moment. If your children are passionate about something, if they're passionate about the Lord, you, you can't teach that to them, okay? That's something that they just have to catch themselves. Let's not stifle that passion. Because I've been around people, and I've, I've had my, my own father, who whenever I became zealous for the Lord, would start to stifle that and say, no, 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 you're, you're, you're a Bible thumper, you're a Jesus freak, back whenever we thought Jesus freaks were cool, remember? Anyone, what would people say? Yes, yes, come on, come on, 90s, right here, baby. Um, and, and, and my dad would just stifle that. Passion cannot be taught. Discipline can be taught. Management can be taught. Leadership skills can be taught. If you've got a child that is passionate about something that is good and holy, let them run after that. Like, I, I used to think that video games was like, we don't want our kids, you know, being passionate about video games. But now you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars on video games. And so, Judah, let's get you ready. I'm, I'm joking, right? I'm, you know. Anyways. What Paul's saying, though, in this first section is, are you going to do what you said you were going to do? Are you going to follow through with your commitment? And one more thing, and then I'm going to kind of move on and, and make sure I don't take up all of your time today. What is a mature disciple? I want you to think about this. I want you to think in your head, what is a mature disciple? Because if I look in the context of Scripture, all right, a mature disciple is someone who is in the word of God. A mature disciple is someone who has a lifestyle of prayer. I'm not talking about you just pray for your food and, you know, you say, uh, have a good night in Jesus' name, go to sleep, you know, to your kids. I'm talking about a lifestyle of prayer. I love what Smith Wigglesworth says. He says, often, I often don't pray for more than a half hour. And I'm like, yes, amen, that is me. I, I'm not, I don't have the gift of intercession. I can't sit there and be like, God, we need you to move and like cry. I'm, I just don't, you get around people that are like that. Some of y'all are like that and God bless you. That's not me. But he says, I often don't pray for more than a half hour, but I never go more than a half hour without prayer. And I love that 
Because it isn't like, here's my cookie cutter set time, which there's nothing bad with that, but it's inviting God into your daily lifestyle. The third thing is a life that is worship to God. We are to present our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. The fourth thing is to share our testimony about Jesus. I believe that if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ and mature Christians, we need to tell other people about Jesus. Like in what he did in our life. And, and oftentimes we just walk around and we just, you know, we just got tape over our mouth and we don't say anything about it, metaphorically speaking. Please don't walk around with tape on your mouth. And then the last thing I'm going to say, and this is what Paul's about to dive into, I am convinced that you cannot be a mature Christian without a generous heart. And a generous heart that lines up with the Word of God. I'm not talking about being generous to your 401 savings plan, all right? I'm talking about generosity that is fueled and led by biblical discipline with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You guys tracking with me with that? I am convinced of this, and here we go, money talk. Yes, we're about to talk about money. I am absolutely convinced about that, 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 that we cannot be mature Christians. And listen, I've, I've been around Christians and coming from the charismatic circle who, like, I saw angels and I saw this, you know, vision and open heaven and God started speaking to me and stuff like that. And they don't believe in giving. I'm like, how, how can you, you're, you know what that is? That's like the Corinthians equating it to an experience without having the discipline. Giving is discipleship. Giving is discipleship. Verse 6, and here's where we're going to get into it. That was all my intro. So, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There's this big theological term called common grace, which is uh, the grace of God that is available for all men, for all women, despite whether or not you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not. And, and basically what it is, is that if you work with your hands, if you, if you toil the ground, then you're going to end up being blessed from that. And, and that idea comes really from this right here. This is one of the scriptures that you can use to back that up. That is why you have people that are um, entrepreneurs and they're the worst people that we know. They steal and they lie, and, but they know how to hustle and they know how to get money and they're extremely successful. That's common grace. This is why we have people who decide to start a company and they, they start this company fresh out of high school and it does well and they, they sell it and they you know, buy another company and they start building wealth for themselves. It is, um, it is a common grace principle. And this is why you've got incredibly wealthy people that give away billions of dollars and are continuing to get more blessed. Like, let's just look at Elon Musk. All right, and I'm going to go on Elon Musk rant for just a minute because I really like Elon Musk and I pray that God ends up convicting his heart. Um, like, I love that Elon Musk is like, they're like, if Elon Musk would, would, you know, give up $6 billion, then we could end world hunger. You know what he did? $6 billion worth of Tesla stock sold. And I'm just like, that blows my mind. If you don't, does anyone, not, does anyone know what I'm talking about? 
So, like a few of you guys. All right, the rest of you guys, you need to get Twitter. All right, because that's where all the news is. It's all real on Twitter. Okay. Um, but I mean, I'm just blown away by Elon Musk, right? And 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 I'm just his his generosity. The other people I'm blown away is the Plute family of just how generous, giving thousands of dollars a day just to, to random people as an act of kindness. They're sowing, therefore they're going to reap. This is a biblical principle. We sow, we reap. We sow, we reap. And this is available whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. But this is, this is where it shifts, and we're going to land on Jesus, trust me. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Funny story about that in a minute. Amen. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, I, I grew up in a charismatic church, all right? And um, it was called New Beginnings you know, Family Fellowship or whatever in Mississippi. This was like one of the first churches I remember. And many of you guys that maybe grew up in church, you might have been in a church setting like this where they'd bring the offering basket and it was a basket up front. It was like this big. You know, they'd did y'all ever experience that? And it had like the gold, um, you know, quilted fabric. I couldn't think of the word. In there, like, you know, and then they, they're like, God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> Come on, let's pull out those pocket books. And they, you know, put on like, uh, these are the days of Elijah, right? And then everyone, they'd start like dancing like this as they gave their offering. Has any, anyone ever experienced this? Or is this what you get out of Backwoods, Mississippi? All right. A few of you guys. All right. Um, like, this is how I grew up. And I didn't get it. I'm like, we're dancing and we're giving, we're putting money in the gold pot. Praise Jesus. And then the pastor, and I love this, he'd always come up here and he's like, God, we thank you that you're going to take this, press down, huh, shaking, huh, overflowing. And, you know, and, you know, we're believing for billions of dollars. And um, y'all are seeing, I need to go to therapy, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm having a moment right now, so pray for me, okay? But this is, this is how I grew up, okay? Um, and so, I did, but this is what I, I need to get back on my notes. Stop laughing at me. This is what I want to talk about, all right? God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Not one that is giving out of compulsion or being coerced into it. And, and I've, I've seen people that, you know, we're going to have a cheerful giving session, Days of Elijah, and uh, look what the Lord has done. Dun, dun, dun. Anyways, I'm like reliving 80s and 90s right now, and y'all need to pray for my salvation. Um, I'm having those, those moments, but, but here's, here's what I need to stress. It is not my job. It is not my job to get up here and to twist your arm to give to the church. It is not my job to do that. I would be doing a disservice to you if you did not joyfully give unto the Lord. Meaning if you're like, I don't want to give today and that pastor's going to get up there and he's going to talk about giving and I'm going to get $5 just so he'd shut his mouth right now. Like if that's your attitude, then keep your money and miss your blessing. Like I mean that for real. 
Because because that's that's what's what's taking place. If you've got begrudgence in your heart, if you've got um, you know anxiety in your heart, if you've got anything other than the joy of the Lord and gratitude and generosity when you give, please don't give to City Church. Please don't, because that isn't what God is looking for. This is why Jesus talks about this. And, and, and I, I want to point this out in Matthew chapter 6, which, by the way, I bookmarked with a parking ticket I got in New York City that I haven't told my wife until just now. Um, <laughs> but I got to pay. <laughs> that is the God's honest truth. <laughs> See, I can say it up here. <laughs> <laughs> because you all think it's funny. <laughs> I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Matthew chapter 6. And then I'm going I'm to get real with you guys. How am I doing on time? Oh, I'm doing great on time. Excellent. Got another hour. <laughs> verse 24. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It's right up there on the Sky Bible. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, all right so this is, this is what I want to talk about, all right? Um, I don't have my wallet on me, but, but my money, my money could easily become the God that I worship. It could easily become the very thing that I'm looking forward to. Anyone ever heard of the Island Boys? I'm an Island Boy. So, <laughs> where are all the teenagers? Like, <laughs> I'm an Island Boy. Like, have you seen those guys on TikTok? Like, they are worshiping their money. Like, it blows my mind. Home dude, both of them went out and got diamond-plated teeth implants, and I'm just like, you're dumb. You know, like, pray for him. Um, but, but money has become their God. Money has become their idea of success. Money has become the very thing that, that, I'm, that they're, they're working for and they're looking for and, and, and that they're flaunting around to everyone to make them think that they've got it all together. And that very well could become the very thing that we end up getting enslaved to in our lives and we start worshiping. We just call it work. Or, or we just call it we're investing for the future. And, and this is something that I'm learning right now because I love my job. I absolutely love my job. But my job is never as important as my family. Never as important as, as my son and my daughter and spending time with them playing Beauty and the Beast and Belle, even though it drives me nuts sometimes. All right? Nothing's going to take away those moments. Nothing's going to take away my trust in God. But he, he doesn't stop there. So that was, let me hit verse 25 through 27. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable to them? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then 
verse 33 and 34, just a little bit further down. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things. What things? All the stuff that you're worried about will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Look, I'm real talk right now. This past week, Christy can tell you, we're dealing with building stuff, which I feel like we're always dealing with building stuff. With the new building, lending and lawyers, and you know, is this going to get finished on time? And um, Andrea, which my God, how on earth has Andrea been dealing with this? Andrea is Tony's uh, wife, in case you guys don't know. And I'm just like, she is a saint. Like she, and it, you know, she needs to be elevated to almost like Mother Mary status at this point. All right. Um, and, and so, because she's been, that was a joke, by the way, all right? And, uh, but she's been dealing with, so like, dealing with building stuff, and I'm, I'm on the phone with the attorney, and I'm like, I need this to go through. I'm leaving to go out of town next week. Like, well, Pastor Mike, I, yeah, I just don't know, and I'm going to be in Rochester. I'm like, all right, buddy, what? You know, I'm just, I'm, and so I'm dealing with that. On top of that, I'm dealing with Brooklyn stuff and finances down there, and budgets, and, and, and this is what's happening, and that's what's happening, um, and then I'm dealing with Israel, and like all this stress, and Christy can tell you, the other night, I went to go lay down, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I was, you know those dreams where you start to like doze off and have those dreams? I was dreaming that people were going to get kicked out of Israel, like, and, and I'm just like, God, you've got to help me, and I went downstairs, and I literally started like studying this and getting into it, and I'm reminded of what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about anything. If God takes care of the birds, will he not take care of me? If, if God can take care of all the living creatures out there, will he not take care of his church? And I'm reminded that God would not get us this far just to abandon us and to leave us. But he starts out with, you cannot serve two masters. We can either serve our feelings and emotion and our anxiety tied to our pocketbook, or we can serve God. It's one or the other. He continues on in verses 9 through 10, and he says, and I'll try to wrap this up now, as it is written, he is distributed freely and he is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread or for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Let me um, I want to kind of bring you guys back just a few months ago. A few months ago, we did a series. And in this series, it was called Increase. And um, kind of our end of the year giving series, and, and God did some great things through it. But there was, there was a very basic principle that we ended up pulling out of that um, about seed, sowing, harvest, waiting, all of that. And I just want to kind of review that. The seed. God draws these parallels or analogies to farmers out there, right? The seed is what God gives you, and every one of us have got seed in our life. It may be a seed of influence, it may be a seed of finances, it may be a seed of technology, it may be whatever it may be. It is some form of seed that God has given you to be a good steward. And then it is up to us 
to determine how much we're going to sow. And, and that's what he's talking about right here. God gives you the seed. You, us, we are the farmers. We are the people who will then sow. And then we talked about there being a waiting time because a lot of times we like give and we expect God to bless us immediately. And trust me, sometimes he does. But other times we give and we have to wait six months before that return, spiritually speaking, ends up coming back. Um, and then we also talked about working, how we have to work the field. We have to work the field. A farmer doesn't just plant seed and then, you know, go and, and sit in his house and just wait for the harvest time to come. No, he has to go out there and toil the, uh, the, 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 the soil. I couldn't think of the words. And Terry's going to correct me later because she does this and I don't. Um, make sure that the weeds are pulled out and whatever else it is that farmers do. All right, this is why we buy food at the grocery store so I don't have to do this. But you guys get what I'm talking about. And then there's the harvest time that ends up coming. And even with the harvest time, have you noticed that it's still more work? It's still more work. If you're bringing in more money, you just got to manage your money even tighter. If you have more coming in, you just got to, well, what, how are we going to distribute this? And you got more investment accounts. Praise God. But here's what I've learned through all of this. If we would be faithful with what it is that God has given us, and we would sow that in obedience to God, to where it is that his spirit would lead us to in accordance with the scripture, God will bring back a massive harvest. And I just want to share a testimony um, on our end. My wife and I, and I won't tell you guys how much, but every year we try to outgive ourselves percentage-wise from the year before. And so beginning of 2021, we got our giving statement and I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, we were able to give away all of that, like, praise you, Jesus, we love you. You know, uh, I literally was like crying in my hotel room whenever I saw the giving statement come in. Um, I got all my giving statements uh, from this past year, and I was tallying it all up. And what we gave away last year is in 2021, what we received in 2022 is almost double what we gave away the previous year. And I'm just like, God, how on earth? Did that happen? Like literally, and if you don't believe me, go ask Hector. He does my taxes, all right? Um, but like I was literally just blown away at like, Jesus, we were able to give away this much, this percentage. And I'm not saying that to toot our own horn. I'm saying this because God continues to bless us ridiculously out of nowhere because we remain obedient to what it is that he's called us to do. And some of us are looking for that blessing. Some of us are looking and crying out for that breakthrough. We need God's help in this area. And he's just saying, will you be obedient with what it is, with the seed that I've given you? Will you be obedient with what it is that I've called you to steward over? He continues on in verses 13 to the end. Let me jump back. Let me jump to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way, be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I love that because when we give, we're not just partnering with him in ministry, which that is what we're doing, but it should also produce a thanksgiving inside of us to God. Again, going back to that cheerful giver. Verse 13, 
by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God in his inexpressible gift. Now here's something I want to point out that, that as I was studying, I was just like, holy cow, this is so true. What Paul's saying right here to the church in Corinthians, your obedience to give what it was that the Lord placed on your heart is going to lead others into submission. Now that sounds bad, right? So let me explain this. Let me put it in today's terms. Your obedience to give for the sake of the gospel is going to lead to others' salvation in Christ. When we give, it is not just to pay the lights. When we give, it is not just to make sure that, you know, the building gets completed. Like, yeah, praise God, we want that to happen, right? But when we give, it is so that lives will be impacted and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it is for anything else other than advancing the kingdom of God, then something is wrong with the church, and we got to check ourselves. And, and this is why it is so incredibly important. And, and man, I love Pastor David. I love Pastor David in India because we've been able to give him thousands of dollars as a church and he's continuously planting more churches and reaching more people. And every time we give to that and someone ends up accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in India, we are a part of that story. We are a part of that story. This is why we, give, we gave to an orphanage in Mexico. We ended up buying them a new roof a few years ago back that they had roof damage. Like whenever those kids get out of that orphanage and they go to secondary or they go to university, we had a part in shepherding them and stewarding them um, all the way up here in Albany, New York. Whenever I think about churches that are being planted, when we give to that, we are partnering for the sake of the gospel, partnering for the sake of the kingdom. And man, what it does for us is it takes the focus off of us as a church and puts the focus on the kingdom of God. And, and this is what I want to just be completely transparent about, with, about here. It's not about city church. Like, do I want this church to grow? Do I want to get in the building? Yes, am I praying for that? Do I want to have all of our debts paid off and be debt-free as a church? Yeah, but you know why? It's not so that I can get rich. I ain't rich. And none of our staff is rich. It's so that we could see the kingdom of God and what started 10 years ago in an upstairs nightclub slash bar in downtown Albany where we wanted to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform a city. It is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform the city of Albany and beyond. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that's going to stop us except for our disobedience. Our disobedience to what it is that the word of God calls us to so what, what does this look like? And I just want to tell you, here's our theological stance here as a church. We believe in tithing. We believe in tithing because um, it's in the Bible. It's all in the Bible. All right? And, and, and Michael, that's an old covenant thing. Well, it was, there's this whole thing with Melchizedek that ended up happening far before the Levitical law ended up being written, right? And, and, and so we saw tithing take place 
before that. So let's, let's omit the old covenant for a minute and let's just look back to the law first. If that's what happened first, then I wanna, I wanna be a part of that. And, and so I wanna challenge all of us to be tithers. Now, for some of you, that's, that's a bold step, and I, and I get that, and I would never want you to, like, like if you're fearful and, and scared, man, why don't you start with 3%, and then maybe work your way up to 5%, and then move from 5% to 7%, or 7.5%, and allow God to grow you. I believe that there's grace for that. I do believe that there's grace for that. And, and then the other aspect of giving is what is above the tithe, and that is simply offerings. That's why every year we do a heart for the house offering. We may call it something different this year, one big offering, I don't know, but it's giving above and beyond. We are here because of the sacrifice of people before us. I am here because of the sacrifice of men and women in Southeast Texas who ended up giving to to allow a youth facility to be built that would be cool and attractive so that I'd go to church and get saved. Like that's why I'm here. And so when we give, it is not, we are not gonna be a church that's all about bling bling. We are gonna be a church that is focused on the mission and using what it is that God has given us. So that, verse 15, people will be saying, thanks be to God for his, God's inexpressible gift, salvation, adoption, people falling in love with Jesus and being completely transformed by the power of his gospel and the power of his grace. If there's any other goal outside of that, we're off mission. And it is my heart's desire, especially as we get ready to move into the new building, that when we move into the new building, God is going to move in our church and not a few or even dozens but hundreds of people will end up crossing through the waters of baptism and saying yes to Jesus Christ and end up surrendering their life. I think about homeless John that came in several years ago who he was restrained from his wife in Connecticut who was up here and he was strung out or maybe not strung out but alcoholic and who is today a pastor and got involved here in the men's group and God convicted him and transformed him which then called him to go back to his home place and now he is pastoring. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's why we give. And so this is not a money talk. This is a Jesus talk. And I want to challenge us all. All of us. Let's be bold with our obedience to Christ. Now listen, this isn't your home church. If you're still checking us out, if you aren't at that place, look, no pressure. As scripture said, it is not my place to twist your arm. Whenever you feel led by the Holy Spirit, to step into that covenantal relationship with us, then you're invited to. And this is what I want to say, last thing, promise. Don't you love that whenever preachers are like, my, my closing, I'm closing now. I was closing seven minutes ago if you guys didn't know that, but um, things just keep popping into my head. This is, this is what I want to say is the last thing. If it's a trust issue between you and God, I promise you, I promise you, he will not let you down. 
There has not been one time in my life that I have tithed in obedience to God and he has not turned it around and blessed me or taken care of me. Like I said, didn't happen like that. But over the past 15, 18 years that I've been doing this, I'm telling you, I haven't missed it one time. I haven't missed a single bill one time. Bank, bank account may say, you know, 35 cents after I get done paying all my bills, but somehow I've gotten through. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your love. And Father, I thank you that you have called City Church to be a generous church. God, I thank you that we are in a position as a church to give 10% out and sometimes more than that, Father. And Lord, I just ask that we as a church model the gospel of Jesus the way you've called us to. That we would not just be a church about the experience, but we would be the church about discipline as well. That we would not just be a church about being passionate and zealous, but that we would be a church that's focused on knowledge and wisdom as well, God. Father, I thank you that it is not either or, but that it is both and in the kingdom of God. And Father, I just pray today, God, for every one of us that we would learn to trust you and to walk out obedience the gospel. So Father, my prayer is that you would take what little bit we have and as your word says, you would multiply it and continue to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name.